In honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, the UTA College of Science is focusing its lens on its Hispanic faculty, staff, and students. UTA, a Texas Tier 1 and Carnegie R1 University, carries a Hispanic-serving institution designation and is one of the most diverse public campuses in the nation. Members of the Hispanic community are learning and doing great science at UTA, including College of Science psychology doctoral student Norma Garza, who grew up as an undocumented immigrant and aims to use her education and research to help others with similar life experience. Garza discusses Hispanic Heritage Month while sharing her story, research, and ideas in this edition of Voices, thoughts from Maverick scientists leading the charge to innovate, discover, and learn. My name is Norma Elizabeth Garza Reyes, and I am a PhD student in the College of Science in the Psychology Department for Experimental Psychology. Experimental is like a, a wide term, so it's research-based, so we do like research mainly, but like it encompasses like social psychology, cognitive, uh, IO psychology as well. I might be like skipping something probably. Personality psychology, uh, developmental. So it's just like a wide term to say that we do research, it's like uh, research-based. And in the department there's also uh, a neuro branch which is also PhD. I was born in Monterrey, Mexico, Mexico, and I came to the US. So I guess that's my my connection like I'm I'm Mexican. I came to the US when I was 7 years old, so very little, and I've been I don't know about hometown like when somebody asked me that question, I don't know what to say because like when I was growing up, we moved a lot, so I I don't have like something like a hometown that I would consider hometown, you know what I mean? But my family and I have lived at, at the border region for the last like 10 years. So that's kind of been like home lately and also here in Arlington, McAllen, Edinburgh, Texas. So right on the border of Mexico and Texas. That's, that's where I did undergrad at the University of Texas. Uh, it was called Pan American, but now it's called the University of Texas um, Rio Grande Valley. So RGV. Just location, that's where I was living. And um, I decided to to go there. And my brother was also going there. I had just come back from Mexico. I was living in Mexico for a while after high school. And I decided to move back. And that's where my family was living. So I moved with them. And um, my brother was going to UTPA. So I, I also decided to enroll. But I had to start all over. So like the credits that I had done in Mexico didn't transfer over. So in 2011, I, I started from scratch my undergrad in, at UTPA. Uh, so here I, I was accepted straight from undergrad and I, I did my master's here. So the program that I'm in, it's uh, it's called from undergrad to PhD, BS to PhD, uh, and you get your master's kind of like on the way. I got it in 2018. So psychology, I've always been interested in. So the, the moment that I got interested was in high school. I took a psychology, like basic psychology class in high school as an elective and I really liked it. I liked, we watched some movies and I thought they were interesting because I had never seen them before. But I really liked uh, uh, how psychology can explain like certain actions of individuals and and I wanted to know more. Like that class and the, the teacher was also really cool. Um, she kind of got me wondering more about, you know, just like learning more about people and their actions. Um, um, right now, I'm interested in social psychology. It's still like kind of the same, like groups of people 
or why they act in a certain way or certain behavioral actions. Like any psychology major at first, I wanted to go into clinical uh, because I think most people who go into psychology want to do that. Uh, but then when I was in undergrad, I applied for a research lab, like to be in a research lab. I saw an email and I was like, uh, I'm going to try it out. I've never done research before. So I, I sent like an application to the professor and he, he told me that, yeah, like I could be in his lab. And it was um, it was about stress and like, yeah, stress and like some biological functions. Um, so the professor is uh, Dr. Benham. And yeah, I was I, when I was in his research lab, I thought it was amazing. It was like the best thing I could like do <laughs> because uh, we were like running participants and we had to put an electro, the ones that you just stick on here to get their heart. And then we, uh, a blood pressure cuff. We made them watch like a, a sad clip of a movie, pay it forward. And like, so the conditions were like some participants, we would tell them not to cry to like would withheld their like emotion. And then other participants, we tell them just to like not, you know, just if they wanted to cry to go ahead and cry. And I thought it was so interesting how that's what he wanted to look to see if like containing your emotion would like make, make your heart beat faster or like increase your blood pressure. So I really liked doing, being part of, of that like study. And then, so when I was in, in, in his lab, I was like enjoying it a lot and just like um, being part of, of the study and then also looking at literature about that topic. And then I was also in the honors program. So the honors program at UTPA is similar to the honors program that we have here at UTA. So I was in the honors program, which meant I had to take like additional, like higher level courses and make them like honors as well. And also it meant that I had to do like an undergrad thesis. After that, I I met another professor and he also was running a lab and his lab was actually more like political psychology. And I really liked that, that lab as well. So I went from like kind of health stuff to political. And I really enjoyed being in his lab also. And, and in his lab, we ran more like online studies, um, but he would give me more like free or wasn't like so, he wasn't so hands-on. So I had to like, kind of navigate more like how to fill out an IRB document and all of that um, for the first time. And I learned a lot being in his lab as well. And I really enjoyed it. And he, being in his lab, kind of pushed me to apply to grad school. Yeah, and then after that I applied and his name was, uh, his name is Dr. Popan. I still like keep in touch with him. Yeah, and then I applied to about 10 graduate programs. I got into two masters and this PhD and I came here. I didn't know like what to do, you know. So like being first gen, like you don't even think about like how is the application process. So that one professor helped me a lot. He gave me a book with all of the graduate programs in the U.S. for psychology, like all of them. It was it was big. So I kind of went through that and looked for like social, political, and like experimental programs. And yeah, and he kind of like helped me through the process. He would edit my personal statement, my CV. So he just helped me. And I had a, a couple other ones that also helped me. I mean, if there, I think research really uh, makes your application a lot stronger for grad school. Like if somebody wants to go to grad school, I definitely recommend uh, being involved in research. But I know it's hard because like a lot of professors don't advertise their research or like their labs. So you kind of have to like 
go up to them and ask them if they have a lab or like, or go up to like a, a graduate student and ask them, like ask us, um, which also works. A lot of undergrads ask me about it and I'm like, yeah. But yes, um, it's definitely, you learn a lot and you learn a lot about applying to grad school because in our lab, so I'm part of Dr. Jensen Campbell's lab um, in the psychology department and we, like part of our lab, we like help our, our RAs apply to graduate school because a lot of them want to, you know? And it's definitely part of, of the process of like our syllabus and just like our lab in general. It's made it harder during the pandemic though because we can't meet in person anymore. But yeah, sometimes we would have days in lab where we would like talk about graduate programs or like what to do, how to apply and all of that. Yeah. My parents, my mom, my dad is in Mexico right now because uh, he was deported a few years back. Uh, but my mom doesn't know English and she didn't go to college. Um, she didn't finish high school and she got like a, she finished, but it was through like a GE type of thing. But so, I mean, like, and we're, so she, we're immigrants. So like coming to a new country and just trying to like make it, she doesn't really have time to think about like, oh, what if my kids, like she would always tell us to like study and do good at, in school and to go to college, but um, she doesn't, didn't know the steps to get there a lot of times. So we, we had to figure it out like as a family, you know? But those are kind of the barriers and she doesn't know English either. So, so that's another barrier, you know, like just the language barrier, the low socioeconomic barrier, sometimes like undergrad, even at, in the UTPA is like an uh, economic school, just like UTA um, compared to like others, you know, it's pretty cheap to attend. Tuition is like on the cheaper side, but for a low income person, even like low, like a cheap tuition is still like a lot. So that's another barrier, like money and a lot of first generation students have to work and go to school. So that makes it harder for them to do research because research demands more hours. You know, like so in our lab, we demand nine hours of, of commitment each week to do to like be in the lab. So if they work and, and which a lot of students in this at UTA work are like um, working and going to school, it's harder, you know, like it's harder for them. So we try to work with our students if they work, which do they do, a lot of them do. But yeah, that's another barrier. Some of them work two jobs, you know, like because they have to help their family. I know I, I did work and my brother worked when we were undergrad. So we would go to school and then right after school, just leave and go to work in the afternoons. So that's another barrier, you know, like you're not in the college like full time, you know, like a full experience where if you were like living at the dorms or close to school, you don't, it's not like quite the same, I guess. In UTPA, it's also like a majority Hispanic population. So a lot of our professors are Hispanic, but at the same time, there's a lot who are not Hispanic. So like in the psychology department, psychology needs more like underrepresented professors because even down there at UTPA, it was mostly white professors or Asian. There was one professor who I read, Dr. Gonzalez, he taught social psych and I really liked him because he would teach like as a like a storyteller kind of which really resonates with our culture because our culture is like based on stories 
Like if you say a story, we're more likely to listen to you than just like put, putting out facts. And there was also another uh, woman professor who got hired while I was there. Um, and her name was, is Dr. Talavera Garza. And she, I, I asked her if she could be in my thesis committee when I was an undergrad and, and she was in it. So I was really happy about that. But that's it. I can't remember, like two, I think another Hispanic professor came in right as I was like leaving. But I think now there's a little bit more, like a couple more Hispanic professors in the psychology department. But you know, but even like in a predominantly Hispanic area, the psych department was still like pretty white. I mean, I look up to all of my professors, all of my mentors, but when I was in under, so like when I was little, Getting a PhD wasn't like a, a goal of mine when I was little, you know, like it wasn't like, oh, when I want to grow up, I want to be like a, a professor, you know, it just kind of happened as as I went through college and I was like, yeah, OK, I want to I want to do this. And I would look at all of my professors as like I would admire all of my professors, but I don't think I had like one, I guess, um, Ruth Gator Ginsburg. I really liked I liked her a lot. And I would look up to her and uh, Sotomayor as well. Now that, that RB, uh, Ginsburg has passed away. I'm really into politics too, so I don't know like, if you can notice. But yeah, my professors, my, my advisor right now, I really look up to her. Dr. Cordero, she's like also an inspiration. When we moved to the US, we moved to Houston. And it was called Pasadena, South Houston. So that's a part of Houston where it's heavily Hispanic. So the elementary that I went to, my, my teacher was Hispanic as well. So since like I, I was in second grade. So ever since I moved here, I, I did have that experience. So like, so like there was a, like most of my class were Hispanic kids as well. And I don't remember learning. I always tell my mom this, like, I don't remember learning English. I don't remember actually learning it. You know what I mean? I just kind of remember already knowing it. But then we moved to another part of Houston where it was more like white. And that's when I had my first white teacher or yeah I don't know yeah white teacher and that experience was like a culture shock when I moved to that school um, because I it was pre like predominantly white school elementary school and they like automatically put me on the English learning like um, group and, but I already knew English, so I don't know why they put me there. I mean, I was English learning, but it was fifth grade. So I came in second grade and, and that was in fifth grade. So I had been three years already like in school. I already knew English. I remember this was a big thing in my, in my family because that teacher had like sat me down one day because I was doing like really good in math, which I, I like math. Um, I've always like liked it and I've been ahead in math, usually. And that teacher like sat me down and she's like, you don't have to try that hard in math. Like, like you don't have to overdo it, I guess. Like it's not expected of you to like do good in, in math. So my mom, I told my mom, she got super mad. <laughs> and she went to the school and she, my mom doesn't know English, but she still went and like, she complained to like the principal and they brought in the teacher and she apologized and all of that. But that's like th those kinds of experiences because I had never been in a like predominantly white school, you know, so it was a little different. And I remember in that school, we learned how to like square dance. I, I thought it was really weird, but I mean, I guess it's like, a, 
it was normal for like to that for that to happen. So I definitely I did have teachers who were Hispanic and in Houston. Like I said, we moved around a lot and I also grew up undocumented. So that was also hard. And I think that's why we moved around so much because my so like my parents could like find work. And then we moved to Arkansas. So I did a lot of high school in Arkansas, which was even more white than Houston. But I mean, it was fine because nothing really happened, but there was not like there was no Hispanic teachers there. Not that I can remember. The like one of the security guards was Hispanic. And that's all who that's all who I can think of. But yeah, so we moved there because of the chicken plant, Tyson. So my, my dad would work there and my, my older brother would also work there. I graduated high school. Well, my last year of high school, like everybody was looking into, you know, going to college. And I I wanted to go to, what is it called? Were the Racerbacks? Arkansas, University of Arkansas. Yeah, I really wanted to go there. Like that was my, my one number one choice. But they told me that I couldn't, like if I wanted to go there, I had to be an I had to be considered as an international student because I didn't have a social security number. So it was like way more expensive, like three times the tuition. And obviously we couldn't pay that. So that's when I went to Mexico to study over there for a little while. And then I came back and that's when I got enrolled into UTPA. And then after that, um, so when I was an undergrad, I was still undocumented for a while. And then I started my, my paperwork to, to become like a, a legal resident. I recently became a citizen uh, two weeks ago. So that's, that was really exciting. I can vote now and I can register people to vote. So I'm probably going to do that next year. It was a relief. You, mainly, I, I feel like it's a relief. Um, but when I was taking my oath, I was just telling this to my advisor there. But when I was taking my oath, so they didn't have a ceremony because of COVID. And we had to go into like a little cubicle. And then one guy like recited the oath and then you like put up your hand. But while he was reciting the oath, I got teary eyed. And I wasn't expecting to, you know? But just like knowing all of the years, sorry. And I'm still like talking about it because like just growing up undocumented all those years and not being able to you know, have a social security or a driver license or, or like get it like a job. Um, and then finally being a citizen, it's just like a relief. But I've obviously had, I, I have been in status for longer than that. But just like the citizen is the, the final thing. Um, so I think that's why I got teary eyed when I was, uh, when, when I was doing my oath. But yeah, um, my mom was super happy also and my dad. A lot of you, yeah, all the time. So my mom would always tell us, like, don't get pulled over. Like, never. I've never been pulled over. Always follow all of the, like, traffic la- like uh, rules and signs and everything. Because if you get pulled over, we can all get deported. And, or you can, or, you know, anybody can. So, yeah, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear about, like, just calling the police. Because, like, what if you call the police and they ask for, like, your ID and you don't have one? you know? And so, yeah, there's, there's always fear. And like institutions sometimes, like um, the police, border patrol, ICE, um, even government, things that like you shouldn't be scared of to go. You know what I mean? Like a hospital sometimes. Or like, I don't want to go to a hospital because like they're going to charge me more. 
and I don't have uh, health insurance or, you know, like anything, all of that stuff. There's always like, okay, but what happens when you don't have the, the required, you know, documentation that you're supposed to have? So all of, all of that, is, it was always like that fear um, growing up for our whole family. And I, I also have privilege because, I mean, like, I'm light-skinned. So, like, sometimes I could get away with, like, things that maybe darker people cannot. So, like, when, when a white person, like, looks at me, they sometimes don't know, like, oh, is she Hispanic or not, you know? I know a lot of Hispanic people think I'm white sometimes. Um, but, like, as a lighter-skinned Hispanic, you know, I have that privilege going for me. And um, I do want to recognize that and and, like it has helped me, you know? I don't have any published papers yet. I, I collaborated in a chapter uh, for a book, but peer-reviewed, I'm working on a couple right now, but they haven't been published yet. Hopefully, like, by the end of this year, I'll get, like, one or two. But my research, I focus on immigration-related things, obviously because of my background, and I have, like, that lived experience. And we actually just developed a, a scale which is like fear of deportation of like known friends and family members. We kind of wanted to do it like fear of deportation of the self, but because it's like so sensitive, um, asking participants to disclose that kind of information, we decided to do it like about fear of deportation of like friends and family members. So yeah, we're like in the process of, of developing that skill we 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 already ran a, a study with it and it seemed like it did have like good reliability and validity so that's good um we're probably going to try to publish that or present it at a conference this coming up year so i focus on immigration attitudes towards immigration from like white people towards immigrants and then the other side also about like immigrants and their acculturative like stress and we pr primarily we do research in, on campus, so like with undergrad students. Kind of switching from like your home life to your school life. It's two different cultures and just going from one to the other, kind of like code switching. There's a term called code, code switching um, where you kind of like, if you're like in a white space, you kind of switch it over to your white sounding voice or a lot of black people do this too. You know, which is different when you go home for like the Hispanic part is that we talk in Spanish with our family members. Um, not everybody, but like with my mom and dad. And then when we come to like work or professional life or school, it's like the American culture more. So we kind of have to navigate those both cultures. But um, there's like this line of research that I'm interested in, <clears throat> which is called like bicultural identity. And it means that you kind of internalize both cultures. So you don't really think that you're more like Hispanic or more American, you're just both, you know? Like there's the same amount of, co of both cultures like in you, you know what I mean? Which I think it's the case for a lot of people who, who are like, like me, like came here at a young age, or they're like second or third generation. So second generation is like if your parents weren't born here and then you're born here or your parents are immigrants. And third generation is you're, you and your parents were born here, but your grandparents were the ones who immigrated here. So I'm really interested in that because 
Um, for second generation immigrants, sometimes they have more like mental health problems, just more like depression and anxiety, sometimes like substance abuse as well. But if you look at people who have like both of the cultures internalized, like they seem to do better because they believe like, you know, it's the same. You just kind of switch it when you have to, which uh, I think is really cool. Uh, a couple years ago, I started to get involved with CERTL, uh without the E. And it's, it's uh, mainly, it's about teaching, like how to be a better teacher and how to like better serve your students. So I kind of like started working with them and they've also, they also recruited me to go to like a, a workshop and a focus group because the same thing, like kind of the same topic that we're, we don't have enough under, uh, we don't have enough underrepresented students in STEM or there's not enough professors who are underrepresented in STEM either. And underrepresented means uh, Hispanic, Black, and Native American, just if there's anybody out there who doesn't know. <laughs> but um, so they, they were like recruiting PhD students who were underrepresented in the College of Science. So they, I went to it because I am interested in that. I just kept going and eventually I got to know Dr. Shakolas which he's an, a mechanical engineer professor. And he kind of um, asked me if I wanted to be an ambassador for this grant that they have from the NSF. Um, so it's called CERTO AGAP. And it's a grant between like 10 universities across the US. And they're trying to like figure out why there's not more professors who are underrepresented in STEM. So I started working with him and uh, Lisa Berry also. I don't think she's here anymore though. But we did a couple of focus groups in the College of Science to kind of like ask the students, underrepresented students, PhD students, to see if they, they are thinking about going into like a faculty position or not, you know? And I also went to a conference that was really cool and like the whole theme of the conference was underrepresentation in STEM. And I learned a lot in that conference. And then I started looking like inward to my own department. I started to notice, you know, we don't have any Latinx or Hispanic faculty. We don't have any black faculty. We don't have any Native American faculty in psychology. And even like PhD students, it's a problem. I would say it's a problem because, you know, we need faculty members. We need like people can make it up there. You know, like people can, can make it all the way and not just uh, like to a certain extent. And Dr. Corletto is like a great um, leader in that. I've, I've talked to her before and and yeah, she talked a lot about math and little girls. Little girls going into math and liking math as well. That led to that research with the focus groups and with Dr. Shakolas. And, and then now this semester, actually I'm on this grant with him and I'm doing research with a professor in um, Texas A&M Commerce. Her name is Dr. Rodriguez. And she is an education PhD professor, and she does research um, about Latinas in STEM, and also Latinos in STEM as well. Uh, so I'm I'm working with her right now, uh, as well as my lab. So I, I'm kind of like in two labs. Yeah, we're doing right now. I'm working on a project f with Gloria Saldua, which she was a border. She was from the border. She did her PhD in California. And she wrote a lot about, you know, like the borderlands and having like this kind of bi 
bicultural identity and just like kind of navigating through both worlds. We're taking her lens and analyzing Dr. Rodriguez's dissertation through Ansaldúa's lens for Latinas in STEM. Yeah, so right now I'm working on that with her. I'm in, and with her, I'm doing qualitative data, which I had not done before. I, here in, at UTA, we do like quantitative. So a lot of numbers, math, stats, which I enjoy because, I mean, I like math. <laughs> um, and I was actu- I've actually been a graduate teaching assistant for, for stats labs, both undergrad and graduate. So going from that to qualitative, it's kind of like really different, um, but I'm learning. And I feel like at the end of the day, it will make my research stronger because I can do both and I could maybe integrate it for my dissertation. Uh, well, ideally I, I would like to become a professor. I'm keeping my options open. Um, that, as I said, I really like politics and I do some research about politics, like voting sometimes. Maybe like in polling, I would, I'm interested in polling as well. So maybe polling or um, research in like in the government, maybe like a government job. My department has been good. You know, they've they've been very supportive of me, and I really don't have any complaints. Uh, but I I would wish to like see more representation in the department. But there's always like so right here in the DFW area, I don't have any family members, so that that's kind of hard. It was hard in the beginning to just kind of like make friends and feel a sense of community because in the Hispanic community we're like very close and there's always like that sense of community like like I got your back you know I started volunteering for the ACLU of Texas and I met a really good friend Jennifer which she has been um, like my community kind of here in the DFW because she also moved here from from New York and she didn't really know that many people. So we kind of met volunteering and we've we've been really good friends since then. I think other people go through it too because like when you go in a PhD student, even if you're white, you have to move and stuff and you kind of don't know anybody. It's kind of isolating. Just like getting together like on a weekly basis and kind of just like doing a cookout, you know, or celebrating birthdays, you know, just kind of being with, with uh, the family that, like when you're away, you miss it. You miss going to to see them. I usually go home for like the holidays, so, but yeah, so I usually drive down, which is an eight hour drive. And at first I would get tired a lot because I would go like three or four times a year, sometimes more, <laughs> but like I kind of got used to it now. I go whenever I really need to go. Like when, I, when I'm missing my family, I just drive down. I, I think they have like, per, like scholarships for underrepresented like Hispanic or black students, Native Americans. So I definitely think that it's more than just saying like, oh, happy Her- Hispanic Heritage Month. I believe we need to get like more funding <laughs> for graduate students and medical, healthcare, also just hiring, I guess hiring more professors and administration level as well. Um, I remember in one of the focus groups that we did, we, one of the students, and I'm, co- I'm kind of like paraphrasing what he said, but he was like, yeah, like 
the colleges have changed over the over the over time, right? Like colleges, universities have expanded. There's a lot more diversity at the undergraduate level, but like if you see the top, the top has not changed really. And uh, he said that there needs to be more action from the top down instead from the bottom up, because there's a lot of no, like there's a lot of organizing sometimes from the bottom up, but if you don't see any changes from the top down, then like it's hard to keep going and keep fighting for for you know representation and and just like more hiring of faculty and administration level. I think they created an undergrad like for undergrads to do research and get paid because one of our undergraduate students in our lab is doing that. And I think it's awesome. Like getting paid to do research is awesome. Instead of just like having the credit for the class or volunteering. Um, yeah, I think that's a good initiative. Immigration is not just from like Latin America. There's immigrants from like all over the world, especially from like like Asia, you know, and Middle Eastern and African and from Haiti. Sometimes whenever we say, and I think it's like a stereotype when we say like immigrants, we we think of like Hispanic, but there's a lot of immigrants from other places that are also undocumented, and I wish that they pass the immigration bill that they're trying to pass right now through the House and the Senate because it would help a lot of people. People who have been here for a lot of years, like decades, you know? So the the last administration was really hard for like immigration. And now like it's still hard but it's gone a little like better. I wish it kept going that way. Now what 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 you see like at the border with the Haiti Haiti immigrants? I don't know. It's just, I don't really agree with what they're doing right now, but hopefully they'll find a better way or let them stay. But yeah, that's just my opinion. I don't know what the right answer. It's complicated. It's very complicated. Hopefully we can find a way. I want to tell the undergrads to keep going, to like go for the STEM fields because we need more people and more Hispanic people in this in STEM and not to get discouraged. I know like it's hard and like don't get discouraged if you get like like a couple of bad grades, you know, go talk to your professors, like you're paying them, you know, to to serve you and ask them how you can improve, you know? Like that shows that you're trying, that you're willing to improve and you wanna move forward from whatever grade you got. And also like work smart. <laughs> not you know how you know the typical like oh if you work hard you'll get it but I think it's more like if you work smart you'll get further ahead and yeah if they have they want somebody to talk to you know I'm here I'm in life science 409 <laughs> so if anybody wants to talk or wants some about advice I'm here also